On this week's Behind the Idea, I talk with Ed Silverman of Pharmalot and Stat News about Walgreens and the pressures on drug pricing in general. One of the challenges in the industry is that it's really complex, and there are a lot of layers between when a drug is made and when someone buys it at a pharmacy, as Ed points out. It's, it's sort of inscrutable for most, most consumers because while they go to the, the pharmacy, they have contact, they complain, they're scared, they're angry, they wonder why does it cost so much, but really the political issue is focusing much more on the manufacturers and those that deal directly with the manufacturers, in this case, the pharmacy benefit managers, because that's where the whole mystery about how the prices are set and why they cost, why the drugs cost what they do. That's where the whole issue actually begins. We also get to the question of Amazon entering the sector And Ed echoes the point about Walgreens' success in commodifying the pharmacy experience as actually being a weakness now. At the end of the day, that human dimension actually works in favor of the independent, I believe, and makes it easier for Amazon to make inroads into the businesses uh, run by the bigger chains. Healthcare and drug pricing are complicated issues and ones that will occupy our political dialogue for at least the next year and a half. What does that mean for investors in a retail pharmacy like Walgreens? We try to break out some ideas on this week's Behind the Idea. Welcome to Behind the Idea. I'm Daniel Schwartzman. Mike Terrell will be back next week. I'm following up on the discussion we had two weeks ago about Walgreens Boots Alliance, ticker symbol WBA. The retail drugstore chain trades at a cheap multiple, but that reflects the real pressures facing the business, especially the threat of online drug sales and reimbursement pressures. To understand the overall industry climate better, I'm speaking to Ed Silverman. Ed is the founder of Pharmalot and writes for Stat News and has covered the industry for more than two decades. I'm excited to speak with him about the industry as a whole, and while he doesn't cover Walgreens specifically, hopefully this will help you better understand the company's place in the chain. Before we begin, Behind the Idea is the podcast that looks at what makes great investment analysis work based on ideas from the Seeking Alpha ecosystem. Neither Ed nor I have any positions in any stocks we expect to discuss. Nothing on this podcast should be taken as investment advice of any sort. So Ed, welcome on Behind the Idea. Hi, thanks for having me. So the theme that came up a lot is just this idea of reimbursement pressures, pressures on drug pricing in general. And I guess that's something that we read in the headlines. It's a big topic. Where do you, from your perspective, where do you see that playing out? Like where is the, when we say pressure on drug pricing, who is facing it? Who, who is dealing with this problem? Well, I spend a lot of time. I write the farm a lot blog, by the way, it's that news. So I spent an awful lot of time, trying to sort out that question. And, you know, the, the big issue in this country right now is, is the patient and followed by the taxpayer. Because, and if you're a patient, you're getting hit both ways as a taxpayer as well, right? The, the, the big challenge right now is trying to sort out how the drug pricing system is set up, which quite difficult for most people. And how to unravel it enough so that it can be more efficient and more affordable while still being innovative. And, you know, retailers like Walgreen play because Walgreen is so huge. They play a big part, obviously, in making the medicines available. But 
like a lot of folks, I have a behind the scenes role in trying to, and trying to sort that out, as I mentioned, is not, not particularly easy. Is the pressure here, is it all, is it a political thing? Obviously we're in the middle of a, we're already starting a new presidential cycle. Is it, is it all political pressure? Or is there also just sort of these different parts of the chain pushing on each other or are there other competitive pressures going on? Or like, I know this is sort of a vague way to phrase it, but is it political or is, is there more going on here? Well, it's political now because there's been a lot going on from the ground up over the last several years. I mean, if the fact that it's political now reflects the fact that over time, a growing number of people, i.e. patients or their families or their representatives have complained that this or that medicine is increasingly out of reach. If you think back, I don't know, more than a dozen years easily, there were news reports for a while showing seniors getting on buses from places like Maine to Canada to buy medicines. It, it, was, it, it wasn't as if it was totally unique. People used to and still do drive to Mexico across that other border to get lower cost medicines. But the trips to Canada were so well organized, so well orchestrated, and so well publicized that for a brief while it made an impression on the American public. What's happened, at, I mean, at that time when those caravans, or buses were headed north, it seemed almost an oddity to most of the American public. But now I think most Americans can relate to that in ways they couldn't before. And when I say most Americans, I don't mean the fact that we have more seniors. I think it really means there are more people across the board, wherever they live, whatever their age bracket, and increasingly different economics demographic are feeling the same pinch that those seniors did in the noughts, you know, the early 2000s. And that's created the political pressure ultimately, because whether we're talking about insulin, whether we're talking about older generic pills, whether we're talking about new innovative medicines that start, that come out the gate at a high price, increasingly across the board, a, a wider swath of Americans are feeling this financial pinch. And typically when that sort of event occurs, you get political pressure. And the political pressure has manifested at the state and the federal level. And it's taken on a life of its own, really, because it has become so widespread and reached out to so many corners of the country. And within that pressure, though, yes, when there's political pressure to that extent over a sustained period of time, then you have different pressures. You have different groups behind the scenes or openly, as the case may be, sparring with each other, pointing fingers, trying to assign blame as to why we have this problem. And so that's why if someone was reading the headlines or more than just headlines over the past several months, you would know that drug makers blame pharmacy benefit man managers and vice versa. That's the most obvious and biggest manifestation of that kind of behind the scenes finger pointing, but it's kind of playing out in different ways for a while now and will probably continue to do so. So that sort of relationship between the... Drug makers, I, I don't know if the insurers play a big role here as well, the, the pharmacy benefit managers. 
how does that because one of the things that came up with walgreens is they talk about reimbursement pressure specifically which to uh untrained ear sounds like something related not to their the core we have to sell the drug to but the fact that they're they're not getting they're having trouble getting something back from somebody not the the client itself but somebody else playing so how do these different or maybe if just to talk about the pharmacy benefit managers because i think they do play out a little bit with the retail pharmacies but like where where do these how do these different entities clash in a way that is relevant to the end consumer to the investor like where where are the where are the the contact points right now well it's complicated there's no easy flow here but when the when a pharmacy whether it's a chain like a walgreens or a corner mom and pop, to use the cliche, complain about reimbursement. They're saying, basically, they're not getting enough compensation for the money they lay out for this or that medicine. And as a result, their margins are pressured. I was on the phone yesterday with an independent pharmacist who runs his own pharmacy in a part of New York City, one of the boroughs, saying... I don't know if this is a real example he was citing because he didn't mention a particular drug, but he could recite this stuff all day long if you gave him the chance. He said, I get, I buy a drug for, you know, $300 and I get back $4. So, you know, how, and if you do that repeatedly with enough of, of your inventory, how can you make enough margin to sustain your business? Now, of course, there are different drugs that yield different reimbursement levels. But the overriding point is, as he said to me, you can't get enough back to keep the operation going. So how do you cope with that? And so that's been an issue for the pharmacy world because what's going on behind the scenes is really how do you slice up this pie, this big pharmaceutical supply, rather this big pharmaceutical pie as the medicines move through the supply chain. The manufacturers set prices, the, they negotiate with the pharmacy benefit managers, and then there's distributors. Before it gets to the retail pharmacy, a lot of this, it doesn't, and the money doesn't necessarily flow directly, it flows back and forth. So it becomes very convoluted to understand really how it works unless you're an insider. And I don't pretend to be because I'm a journalist, not a distributor or a pharmacist, but in any event, the overriding issue for the pharmacy or the pharmacy chain is how do they get enough reimbursement to, to make the profits they need to keep going? And if you're an investor, um, you're going to have to wonder, if not worry, how that's going to happen because it's not getting any easier. There's more and more pressure. The pharmacy benefit managers being pressured due to the political climate to justify the rebates and fees charged and prove with transparency, if that's possible, that what it collects is largely passed on to its client, which typically would be the health plan. So as that happens, well, where does the pharmacy benefit manager make up some money? Well, maybe with the fees that get paid to the pharmacy and lower fees. So this, this becomes, as I said, very complex and convoluted. But 
it really has an overriding effect on the overall financial stability of the pharmacy chains and the ph- independence. It would seem like, you know, very trivially, you think about discussions around Medicare for all or whatever. And it, it seems like a lot of the challenge here is a lot of the complexity. Like you said, there's a lot of different players and the flow is not obvious. And if you're trying to think of how can we suck out overall cost for the end taxpayer for the end client, you want to take out some of that complexity. Is that something that's feasible? I, like, is that, again, I, I know I'm taking a very layman's approach, but is that something that's feasible? And if so, where do you, where do you go? Does that, is it something that ends up squeezing the, the pharmacy that's at the end of the process? Is that something that is on the insurer? Like where, where, what do you hear? What do people talk about as far as everybody says you want to have lower drug costs or whatever, but what does that actually mean in the end of the, at the end of the day? Well, it's sort of an irony. Many people get their prescription medicines from a pharmacy, whether it's a chain or independent. Some, some get it by, by mail, obviously. But the irony is that while they may have some face-to-face contact or regular contact with, that, with a retail operation, it's not clear to these people that the retail operation is further down the supply chain and the whole controversy over the price starts further up that supply chain. So it, so to the average person, what's going on is it's, it's sort of inscrutable for most, most consumers because while they go to the, the pharmacy, unless they get their medicine by mail, they go to the pharmacy, they have contact, they complain, they're scared, they're angry, they wonder why does it cost so much. But really the political issue is focusing much more on the manufacturers and those that deal directly with the manufacturers, in this case, the pharmacy benefit managers, because that's where the whole mystery about how the prices are set and why they cost, why the drugs cost what they do. That's where the whole issue actually begins. So maybe the pharmacist gets the brunt of it from a patient one day, you know, there, but they can't control whether it's a big chain or independent. They can't control what's happening further up the chain. Where, which, the pharmacy benefit manager, they're, are they, I, I don't want to paint it as sides per se, but what, what is their role here? Who are they, who do they work for? Who do they help, not help? Are they sourcing the drugs for the pharmacies or where, where is, how would you describe their role as pertains to this, this chain? Well, first I would say they work for themselves because they're in business to make money like anybody else. So we have to keep sight of that. And I'm not trying to be glib, but their, their stated role is to play middleman, to establish a formulary, the list of preferred medicines that they keep uh, for, on a national basis, but they'll also uh, recommend for their clients on a more specific basis. And in establishing those formularies, they negotiate on behalf of their clients with the drug manufacturers. And so depending upon the variables, and there's so many you could go on for quite a while imagining them, drug company A has a new medicine that has no competition, so it's much easier to get a good spot on the formulary because if it treats, if it successfully can treat 
uh, a disease that affects whatever number of people, there'll be demand for that product, that medicine. So the pharmacy, the pharmacy benefit manager is going to include it on the formulary. However, if you have a situation where it's the third such drug, the, the pharmacy benefit manager has more leverage to say, look, we've got two others where we have placed that on our formulary. And if you want the same spot or I tell you what a better spot, you have to give us more of a rebate. And so that becomes a little bit of a dance. The drug maker, of course, wants the revenue, wants doctors to be able to write the prescription, knowing their, pa their patients can get access, get insurance coverage. So they, the drug manufacturer plays ball with the pharmacy benefit manager and coughs up a rebate of however much. And that, that's sort of a simplistic picture of one piece of this whole process. But the pharmacy benefit manager can exert that kind of leverage. And that sort of sums up their process. They negotiate with the drug manufacturers on behalf of their clients to health, typically health plans or maybe self-insured employers. And they establish these formularies that allow them to more specifically point to the kinds of insurance coverage and decisions that flow from the negotiations they conduct with the, the pharma company, the drug makers. So another thing that's going on in the wider industry over the past few years, uh, maybe since really the advent of Obamacare, is you've got a lot of consolidation too. And does this end up being, you know, Cigna buys Express Scripts and CVS buys Aetna, so they kind of go a different direction. Walgreens, I think, is mostly, the, you know, they've, they've added a lot of the Rite Aid stores. And is this... A, what are you seeing as far as as these different players grow bigger and try to I, I, I it seems like gain more weight and gain more leverage like are, are, is that playing out in any way are we seeing winners are we seeing companies that are being just in general being more successful in terms of managing to gain heft and leverage is with all these different negotiations and all these different directions well, it's like any other industry. When there's consolidation, the the uh, the company that did the acquiring believes that it could become more efficient and generate a bigger pro profit, and in the process, gain bigger market share. So, with that clout, presumably, you get more buying power, and in this case, can more effectively uh, negotiate the the fees with whichever entity is supplying you the medicines. But it's not as if it's a clear field yet because in the, in the United States, of course, you have a lot of players. It's still kind of fractured. You now you do have besides Walgreen, you have CVS, you have Walmart, um, you've got any number of, I don't know the latest number of independents, there's still a good number of them out there. And so they, by becoming Walgreens Boots Alliance. Yes, they've soaked up a certain amount of market share, but it's not as if they have a playing field to themselves. And I assume you're going to ask me about the future, and that makes me think of Amazon, right. because that is going to eventually change things, if not abruptly, but gradually, and it will alter the way a pharmacy does business today. 
Well, and so I, I you had mentioned earlier that some people get their prescriptions by mail, and then so that then yeah, that was also going to set up for Amazon as well. What's what's going on there? Is that you know, and so Amazon so at least their reputation so customer obsessed, and in theory that could be almost a white knight for somebody being really devoted to that. But what are you seeing? What's how's this? What does Amazon's advent mean for the industry so far and, and potentially in the future? Well, so far it's meant a lot of jitters Mm -hmm. more than true competition, but you can see it coming for a couple of years. There've been stories how Amazon has obtained distribution licenses in different States and hired people with experience in pharmacy benefits management and, try to uh, soup up its health IT capabilities. It, and there are any number of ways it can reach out with all its tentacles. And the latest manifestation that's been discussed is using the Alexa device to remind you when there's a health issue, help you fill your prescription, remind you to take your, your medicine, call your doctor and talk about your medicine not just make sure the medicine shows up at the door when you need it next. That is essentially in many ways replacing the pharmacist, right? It can provide the medicine. It can tell you what you need to know about the medicine, help you act on issues concerning your health and and the medicine specifically. So with all that in mind, and it sounds a little fanciful, but really it's not a big stretch. If you're a retail pharmacy, you've got to be prepared for more people aiming for convenience and because of Amazon's cost structure and it's the size of its own treasury, it has the ability to be a low cost provider or purveyor of all the different things I mentioned. So that, that can pose a I think it pose significant challenge. I'm just not sure how soon. Okay. So, so far it's jitters, but then, yeah, that, that seems, seems a little creepy, but it also seems like a reminder of the scale that Amazon can bring to this, that not a lot of other existing or future entrants could bring. Yeah. Creepy is a good word because the more we rely on technology for every part of our day-to-day lives, potential for creepiness factor increases quite a bit. That aside, the real issue from a sanitized point of view is efficiency. Mm. And at the end of the day, the pharmacy can talk all it wants about, particularly the chains, can talk all they want about how they provide value-added service. I think that is spotty, and I'm sure there'll be someone from you know, one of the big chains that will disagree with this, but when you're at a chain store, my observation is it's a little different than the independent mom and pop where they have more of a loyal customer base. And so that's something that is a little harder to replace, but it's replaceable. But it's also one less thing that the big behemoth chain can't as easily argue But when it comes to saying to the customer, you know, remain loyal, remain with us. At the end of the day, that human dimension actually works in favor of the independent, I believe. 
and makes it easier for Amazon to make inroads into the businesses uh, run by the bigger chains because efficiency counts. And oh, let's face it, Alexa isn't a person, but if you like the voice and it speaks to you and tells you what you need to know, that's helpful. And if it's cheap, it's even better. It's interesting. The On our last podcast, my co-host Mike made the point that Walgreens has successfully and the other chains have successfully made pharmacy into sort of a McDonald's business where it's very standardized. And that is, like you said, sort of a vulnerability because online you can do that without leaving the house. And so that's a interesting point. Well, you know, I don't mean to, to harp on this so much, but let's face it, you go into a, a large chain. I don't want to name a name because it's not fair, but the, yes, they have a staff of pharmacists who work in the same location regularly, so maybe you get to see them, but they're under a lot of pressure to make numbers and produce. They also get paid well, many of them, but that also, I believe, robs the, the, the consumer of that ability to establish a rapport because, let's face it, maybe the independent pharmacist isn't always as efficient. They like, they like to schmooze a little bit with this or that customer. But you know what? That builds loyalty. And I don't have to tell you how that man, might manifest every time that customer work, walks into the store. But that is a, a quality. It's hard to measure, but it's a quality that makes them valuable in the eyes of the consumer. So that, that works against the chain. So yeah, they've standardized themselves and made them more like McDonald's, but you know, so what? If you have a question about your health, interaction with medicines, you want to talk a little bit, maybe a little hand-holding and reassurance, the independent might have more time to do that with you. And that matters. And quite frankly, that is valuable in ways Alexa may not be. But we'll see how, we'll see how cozy Alexa can be in reassuring patients in the future. Right. So, so what... We've hit on sort of that aspect and then also the the pressures. What do you think is just for somebody who's coming into this or somebody who's been following these companies, what do you think is most important just to continue to watch or where, where's an area that y- you think is most interesting to focus on for yourself? Well, I would look at generic pricing because generic drugs is typically where pharmacies often make most of their margins. And there's been bit of a roller coaster ride for generic prices the last several years. These reports, I think it was 2014, uh, late 2013, or somewhere in that time frame where uh, we're suddenly seeing spikes in, in some generics. Mm-hmm. Some medicines used by hospitals, but others were just pills you would get at, at the local counter. And that continued for a while. And there are d- different reasons, but overall, the trend continued for a while with a growing number of, of generics, and then it, it uh, dissipated for a while going back to starting in 2000, late 2017, maybe, into last year. So, you know, these, this up and down movement can affect the margins for, the, uh, for everybody in the chain, obviously, the supply chain, rather. But I would watch that going forward because it has, uh, for the same reason, it continues to have ramifications. And, you know, they're, depending upon what reports you read, you know, some generic companies have been taking big price hikes lately. And that's despite 
threats from the White House that companies shouldn't do that. Most of that anger has been directed at brand name companies. So uh, that's something. Anyway, that's something I would keep my eye on. From the retail retail perspective, what is the generics like? What is the way? Is it just watch out for? how the manufacturers are pricing it or do they actually face the pressure because then they can't get away with markups because there's more scrutiny in general or where, where, where does that play into there? I would assume that the more pressure there is on drug manufacturers to make generics and to make them affordable, the better for the retailer because that gives them more room to have a spread. But is that the right way to think about it? Yeah, basically, I, I mean, there is a, there's a lot of effort to try to make more generics available. You've got this new um, entity called Civica RX that started up in the past year or so, and it's uh, the brainchild of a bunch of large hospital systems. It's got some philanthropic funding behind it, but the whole premise is to make generics hard to come by or their shortages more widely available. Now, I mentioned it was started by hospital systems, so as you can imagine, that's tailored more toward the hospital purchaser. Mm-hmm. I've talked to Civica RX. They've not discounted the possibility that they could go in a broader direction and eventually make deals where there could be generics available for, at, at the retail counter as well. I mention this simply because on a, on a larger scale, it just reflects the notion, as you started to say, that there is more interest and emphasis on trying to get more generic production out there to keep things at a reasonable cost. And whether it's a Civica RX or FDA approving more generics, presumably it all aims toward the same goal. Okay. That's interesting. All right. That that's a that's a good issue to watch for. And you know, I know there's a ton more to talk here, but I think that that's a good place for us to sort of wrap. So Ed, thank you for taking the time. Uh, I think there's a lot here for that that listeners can continue to kind of pursue, but I think this is a good at least opening into what's actually going on in the industry in terms of these different puts and takes. So I appreciate you taking time out of your day to, to speak with me. About well, it. well, thank you for having me. I appreciate that you thought of me and I uh, hope this was helpful and uh, I'd be happy to do it again sometime. Thanks for listening to Behind the Idea this week. I hope you enjoyed it. Should be back to full strength next week with Mike Taylor, so watch out for that. If you have any ideas you'd like to hear covered or any general feedback, email us at btipod at seekingalpha.com. BTI like behind the idea. If you can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, we greatly appreciate that as well. This has been a Seeking Alpha production. Thanks for listening, and see you next week on Behind the Idea.